0: Hey, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and for those of you living in America, happy almost Thanksgiving. Tomorrow is Thanksgiving, and I think it's one of my favorite holidays, if not my favorite. And I think it's my favorite because I have very fond memories as a child devouring my Mimi's dressing. And I love that dressing so much. Maybe I should try and make it soon. I have the recipe. I want to tell you a couple of things before we jump in. Number one, Happy birthday to my daughter, Story. Today is her birthday. In fact, at this moment, her and I are flying home from New York City. We've been in New York for the past couple of days because every year on our kids' 13th birthdays, we take them wherever they want to go in the United States and she wanted to go to the Big Apple and her 13th birthday was last year during COVID. So here we are flying home from New York City. So happy birthday story. You guys, I also want to make sure if you did not hear Friday's episode, it was our holiday gift guide episode, which is maybe the most fun thing we do all year long. I'm not real sure. It was so much fun this year. We actually filmed and recorded it with a live audience. And so we have some phenomenal options for you as you head into gift buying season. And a little tip, man, bookmark that episode so bookmark those show notes use it to buy gifts all year round. That's such a great idea that I just gave you. So I hope you listen to that. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, you're listening to my voice right now, look up the show from Friday for the holiday gift guide. And if you want to watch it, go to jamieivy.com slash YouTube. All right, guys, we have a great show for you today. In fact, I've been wanting to talk with this man for a really long time, because he started one of my favorite clothing brands in the entire world. And that is Able. If you follow me on Instagram, you've seen me talk about Able. You've seen me visit their showroom in Nashville, where going to talk about that a little bit in the show today. But leading a fashion lifestyle brand might be an unlikely role for someone self-described as not a fashion guy. That's what Barrett calls himself. But CEO Barrett Ward, he finds himself doing just that as the visionary behind the rapidly growing Nashville-based company disrupting the fashion industry with a social conscience. Barrett was inspired to start ABLE with the mission of creating sustainable economic opportunities for women. You guys, today we talk a lot about what that actually means. ABLE is leading the way in being very honest about their living wages that they pay the people who make their clothing and their brands and their fashions and their bags. And they're actually encouraging other brands to step up to the plate and do the same. Barrett today talks about what that actually means. And I was profoundly impacted by this conversation today as wanting to be more thoughtful in the way that I spend my money. And so I hope that the same thing happens for you as well. I want to tell you guys, listen to today's show, check out Able, go look at all their amazing clothes and bags and shoes and accessories. They just have your entire line of fashion over there at Able. In fact, funny thing, as I'm recording this intro for you right now, I literally have on head to toe able. I have a scarf on my head. I have the denim jacket on, the white t shirt. I've got the new pants that they have. And I even have some of their tennis shoes on. I am able from head to toe today. But I want to put a little nugget in your head is that today we're talking to Barrett. And on the next episode, we talk to Jonathan, who lives in the Dominican Republic and works for Compassion. And we did this last year and we're doing it again. And we're coming to you and we're asking you to partner with Compassion International to become a sponsor for a child there in need. And I want to tell you right now, after you listen to this episode, you're going to be really excited because we're going to give you a gift when you sponsor and it comes from ABLE. So check back next week to hear exactly what you're going to get when you sponsor a child. Uh, but today, here's Barrett Ward in our conversation about what it actually means to pay people a living wage. Barrett, welcome to the happy hour.
1: Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Truly. Truly.
0: Well, I'm excited to be here with you because you run one of the Happy Hour's favorite companies. And so it feels like we're getting to talk to the creator and the maker of something that we're so excited about and love so much. And so that is Able. And a lot of people know that. But introduce yourself to my listeners.
1: Well, I'm known as Jamie Ivy Fan Barrett Ward. (laughs) And truly, you've had such a big influence on our business and our mission. So it is fun to get to spend time with you now. And yeah, I live here in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm married to my wife, Rachel. I have four daughters. I work in a company that is 96% women. I am half of the 4% of men. And thank God I started it because I know I couldn't get a job here otherwise. Right, right. But yeah, we live here in Nashville, Tennessee, and that's where our corporate headquarters are as well.
0: Okay. We're a fashion company. You are a fashion company, that is for sure. And I was just, when was I out there? This summer, this summer, I was in the storefront there in Nashville and you guys have some great things coming through. Okay, why did I think that you have five kids?
1: Maybe because I wanted five kids. (laughs) Oh, you did? Um, You really did? Maybe you spoke to my wife and she told you that I was insane. I was actually just talking to a friend the other day that his brother, he goes, he has, and you would relate to this as another person with five or four kids. But he said the other day, yeah, my brother has five kids. And I was like, man, that's crazy. And I sat there for about five seconds and I go, I have four kids. So. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's not, not that, that much it's not, So five kids, four kids, I could have done it, but rightfully she cut us off at that point.
0: Yeah. Well, you are surrounded by women for sure. I did not know that about your life. Okay. So this is a curiosity of me that I don't actually think I even know the full story here. Mm. I know that this brand that you started, this fashion brand was started, I guess, 11 years ago now. Am I right about that? And I do know that it started with scarves, which is crazy that you started with scarves and now it's a full on, you have everything that you could think of. Can we go way back and talk about what was even the beginning of Barrett starting a fashion brand?
1: Well, that's really funny because there was no vision of starting a fashion brand. It was actually, I mean, if you go really back to the beginning, my wife and I got married in 2007. Her name is Rachel and Rachel was working in the adoption space and I was working in the nonprofit space, especially with women and children in Africa. Okay. And she got a job offer to move to Ethiopia and run an adoption agency there. And I thought that was a terrifying idea to move at the beginning of our marriage. And most everybody in our life told us that was a terrible (laughs) idea, but you know, honestly, we thought a lot about it. We prayed a lot about it and sure enough, despite all this worldly wisdom, we felt connected as a couple that this was the right choice for us. So we moved to Ethiopia. She was the brave one, by the way. I was totally frightened. and Was it and just really the two of y'all or
0: did you have any kids?
1: No kids yet. Okay. So we moved to Ethiopia and she was working in that space of adoption and I was working particularly with vulnerable women and children. And one thing where it really kind of quote unquote all starts is that We lived in an area called, actually, ironically, it's called Sarbate in Mexico, um, in uh, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. And there's this road that we would go down called Victory Road. There's a lot of construction on it. And there would be these girls sitting up on one of those concrete dividers. Uh And what I didn't realize for the first couple of months that those girls were being trafficked. Mm. And I thought that they were just friendly and waving at me. And And I came to realize that, and that was... I mean, that was visceral. That was incredibly angering, as you can imagine. Yeah. And so when I heard that as a part of our work, I wanted to see if we could get involved. And so we started looking at organizations in Ethiopia that were Ethiopian-run that were doing work to work with that commercial sex industry, sex slavery, working to rehabilitate women out of it. So that was kind of my first moment in exposure to the commercial sex industry. And it's just devastating impact on women. And so so the next kind of moment was we found this group called Women at Risk that was doing incredible work with these women. And we start talking to the women, they would always say, look, we are grateful for the charity, the, the yeah. childcare. We're grateful for the health care. 75% of these women were HIV positive. But what they would always say is at the end of the six months, if we don't have a job, yeah. What do you think we're doing? We're yeah. just going back to the street. And the hardest part was for women at risk as an Ethiopian agency, trying to figure out a way to tie itself to broader markets, even Western markets where they right. could sell any kind of product. And so we would hear these women's stories. I think I'll never forget one woman telling us and I'll on this moment, I think I always thought that people ended up in prostitution because they, you know, I understand times are hard, but you probably made some bad decisions in your life. And I met a woman that went into prostitution to save her sister from breast cancer. Mm. And cause there was no other means to do it. And then all of a sudden, Jamie, I know, you know what it's like, but you're sitting here with these women, everything changes and you realize I am sitting in the midst of greatness, of heroism, that I could not even imagine challenges and scenarios in their life and choices they've had to make that I've never even butted up against, Mm -hmm. right? And so we were ready to go to battle. And when they said, you got to help us figure out a way to have a job after this, we said, okay, what do you want to do? And here's where we became a, here's the moment we became a fashion company. They said, we would like to make scarves. Because scars have been around since the Queen of Sheba in Ethiopia. And so there's an actress named Minka Kelly that heard about what we were doing. She was on Friday Night Lights, close to filmed in oh, Austin, Texas. Yep. And she came out and helped us promote it. And within about two months, we sold around 4,132 scarves.
0: And so all of a sudden
1: we realized we had something, you know, and I'll tell you the last thing is what we realized we had was that the consumers in the United States, this is the end of 2010, women consumers were ready to purchase products Mm. that could have an impact on another woman's life. It really felt like it was empowering and that we just, serendipitously caught that wave. Mm. And so, yeah, that's how we started.
0: You know, you said serendipitously caught that wave. I've been doing this podcasting for seven years. And a lot of the things that I've wanted to do in this journey is to elevate companies that are doing exactly what you guys are doing. And it's so fun for me. I mean, it's like on the smallest level, like Minka Kelly, that's a big thing, but I want to do that. And I love doing that with you guys. But when did this wave start around then? I mean, because since I've been doing this for seven years, it feels as though I've been talking about companies like yours for a while. Was there a lot of this previously to the last decade or two decades?
1: So, you know, where it really started to take root was Tom's shoes. Yes. And they were a few years before that. They were probably around 2007 and they had this massive Mm -hmm. wave. Of one for one was their thing. And their model was give a pair of shoes away for every pair of shoes you buy. And if I may, I think what has changed in this kind of social enterprise marketplace is that consumers are kind of seeing, look, you know, you can do that. You can give away charity through your business model. Target does that. Target gives millions of dollars away every year. You can give shoes away. You can give a 5% away of your profits. But really what we believe social enterprise is, is that baked into your operations is the solution for the problem. And what we are trying to do is number one, employ women who have overcome extraordinary circumstances. And number two, doing it a living wage. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to prove that that can be done and it's working. So that's really where that wave started. And let me say, we are super thankful for Tom's.
0: (laughs) Yeah, they opened up a door (laughs) for so
1: many of us to walk through.
0: It's so funny. It's like, I look back in the podcasting world and I'm so thankful for the podcast Serial because Serial came out and everyone's like, oh, what's a podcast? I'm like, oh, hey, here I am. I'm over here. Yeah. So I do have a couple of questions. I love that you said that, that baked into your model is a solution to the problem. And the problem is what you heard these women saying like, hey, thank you for the childcare. Thank you for the six month program. But we need a J-O-B at the end of these six months so that we can support our family. Yeah. So you're baking that in. You start making scarves, then what? So-
1: again, there was no vision. It was literally all of a sudden we sold 4,000 scarves. And in a couple of years, what actually happened...
0: Did you have your name there? So we
1: were called fashionable at that right, point underneath right. our nonprofit. Okay, and then got our it. lawyers told us...
0: <laughs> oh, here come the lawyers. Here comes the
1: lawyers. You got no leg to stand on as a nonprofit anymore. There's a long tax...
0: Oh, because uh, you're making taxation profit? Taxation reason
1: why... Well, it's actually because of what's called UBIT or Unrelated Business Income Tax. And when you have a charter as a nonprofit, your revenue needs to be directly tied to that Got charter. It. Okay. ABLE was just meant to be this. It was called Fashion ABLE at the time was just meant to be this small little thing that we did. But because it grew, we had to shift out, become a for-profit which is a real shock to our system. Uh, frankly, I kind of, I lived in the nonprofit world thinking you can't do good in the world if you're a for-profit, oh, you're yeah. evil. <laughs> but what's ended up happening is we went from three employees here in Nashville to pre-pandemic hundred employees and having manufacturers pop up all over the world, including here in Nashville, Tennessee, making our products by women who had overcome mm. those kind of circumstances all being paid a living wage. And so that was the shift. So when you talk about becoming this fashion company, it was the what's next was all accidental. And so we became a for-profit and all of a sudden we had the opportunity to scale. And as we did now, if you'll remember, scarves were unbelievably cool in 2010, Uh women were wearing them as summer scarves and accessories, (laughs) Uh you know, but So again, more serendipity because by 2012, scarves were out the door. But by that time, we had launched leather as a category. Mm -hmm. Leather is a byproduct of the meat industry in Ethiopia. It's very much upcycling. And so we launched leather. We came out with a bag. Again, this will be the eighth time I've used the word serendipity. But people like Julianne Huff started to promote it. Jessica Alba Mm. promoted it. Like all these people just got behind, Hey, this is a really cute bag and it's actually helping real women. And the last thing I'll say is as we've grown, it's become understood that if you're actually to be strategic about fighting poverty, which is what kind of the nonprofit mandate is, Mm -hmm. nonprofits will get you the first step of the way, like to get off your feet, right? Mm -hmm. The people that are truly destitute. But ultimately, if you're going to be serious about really fighting poverty, you understand that creating jobs, number one, is critical. And number two, doing so for women is the best strategy for it. Not just a heart thing, but a socially scientifically proven fact of when a woman has a checkbook, she is safer. She contributes more than a man to her family, to the community, et cetera, et cetera. So even though we became a fashion company on accident, there wouldn't be a place that we would choose to be Mm -hmm. to have a more strategic impact on poverty than working with women all over the world that make the things that we wear.
0: It's amazing. And it's crazy to see how the company that you have now literally was just like, let's just make, you know, a couple hundred scarves and see what happens. And then the ball just started rolling and here you are. I'm guessing somewhere in there, you and your family relocate back to Nashville because that's where your headquarters are.
1: Yeah. We moved back to Nashville a year and a half later. And actually when we moved back, we had to move back because our visas ran out. One of the things that I was frankly kind of, and so is Rachel, just kind of brokenhearted about, was that we didn't get to be around the people that we wanted to partner with, that we wanted mm-hmm. to have an impact on. And instead, you're just kind of sitting in your Nashville office. And so at that point, the obvious truth was that there are women in our own backyards that need help too. So we started making jewelry, as you saw here in Nashville, and started working with women that had overcome addiction in the commercial sex industry as well. And within a year, that went from three women to 20. And, and it's just fun. It's thrilling to be a part of it.
0: I have toured your office space and been back there and seen the women making the jewelry. And they've made jewelry for our company that we've sold as well. And so it is a beautiful model that you're seeing. And one of the things that you guys did, which I told you just frankly, before we started recording, I don't 100% understand the need or the reason behind this. And so I want you to explain this to me. you guys launched something in 2018 about publishing your wages and you wanted to bring complete vulnerability to the table. And I love what I've heard you say is that like, you know, we have vulnerability in relationships. The best relationships are driven by vulnerability. And so you're basically saying we may not be a perfect business, but we want to be vulnerable with you. What does that mean when a business is saying, not only we're going to just publish our wages, but we want to show you the vulnerability behind our company. Why is that important for you guys and for me as a consumer? It
1: starts, we started publishing our wages in 2018, our lowest wages. And I'll explain why in a minute. But it started really because as we started to grow, I remember in about 2015, I was giving a speech somewhere and this woman came up to me and said, I just love what you all are doing. It's so great how you're impacting women all over the world. And I had this moment of thinking, you know what? I don't know what our impact is everywhere anymore. We had grown enough that it was hard to truly know. Like when it was just 30 women in Ethiopia right. and a few women here in Nashville, it was easy to know. But as we started to grow, we realized, hold on, we have to figure out a way to audit our work so that we can have integrity in what we say that we're doing. Mm. So as we started auditing and learning about our work, or our manufacturers more, one of the other big things we learned about was this concept called a living wage. And what we learned, have you ever seen that film called True Cost? No. It's on Netflix. Okay, okay watch it. Okay, i mean uh, That and Poverty Inc.,
0: Yes, and I've when you seen watch
1: that. It, this is what really drove a lot of this for me is understanding that of all the manufacturing in the world, seventy-five percent of in the fashion world is done by women. Okay, seventy-five to eighty-five percent of those women only two percent earn a living wage, and so what that means is ninety-eight percent of the people that make our clothes, the women around the world, not not just the ones that able. I'm talking about the entire fashion world. 98% of them cannot make ends meet. They're working five to six days a week at a minimum. A lot of them working 12-hour shifts, two jobs, just in order to make ends meet so that, frankly, large corporations mm-hmm. or small corporations can just get a little bit more margin. Mm. Because if fashion companies contributed 2% back to 3%, it's estimated back to the cost of the garment that they're purchasing, everybody would be at a living wage. Wow. So that was kind of moment one was understanding just how kind of depraved a lot of the industry, the fashion industry is.
0: At this time, when you kind of had this light bulb moment, you saw this where the people you were employing, were they making a living wage?
1: So in Ethiopia, what we come to find out was that nobody was making a living wage. And of course that was hard to understand and hear. Right. So, so that started this journey and and we started publishing our wages, as you said, and we said not our average wage because that does not protect the person at the bottom.
0: I see what you're saying. The lowest wage. That's why you're saying that the lowest okay. wage
1: at that manufacturer. The lowest wage is this. OK, Because look, I mean, I told our PR person, we're going to start publishing our lowest wages. And he looked at me and said, are you an idiot? said, you know, people pay me a lot of money to shut people like you down. And, (laughs) you know, what's the point? I don't mean to sound cheesy, but like, let's just burn it down. If if we're building it on the wrong, Mm. you know, principles and building it on the backs of women that if a business can't survive by being honest about it, then Mm. that's just not the business we want. To your point of what we had said is, you know, we started doing this because we wanted to say that you do not have to be perfect before you are honest. That is a brutal way to live, yeah. personally, and we don't want to run a business that way either. We don't want to put that into the world, yeah, because that's everything. It's all about the PR spin. It's all about, oh well, yeah. I mean, it's hard to work with living wages, and you know, and and, and it's a challenge to calculate all that. That's all spin. Mm. It is an easy thing to get to the living wage and what the lowest wages in the manufacturer, but nobody wants anybody to know that. But what our belief is. So I didn't sleep that first night when we published our wages. So
0: because you're what like, what we have we just is, run everything into the ground? Yeah. I want to ask a question that I feel dumb asking. What is the worst thing that would have happened? Like your PR person's like, don't say this because what goes on? Well, you
1: know, the way that our culture is now with social media that if a story gets twisted just a little bit, it could be doomsday, right? Like how quickly does someone get shut down? Maybe most of the time it's deserved, but sometimes maybe it's not. Yeah. But we really believed that if we lead with the truth and just say, look, we're not saying that we're doing it right. But in a world where only 2% of women are earning a living wage, we're not at hundred percent either. So let's just be honest about it. Come with us on this journey and let's create consumer demand around this idea of getting everybody to a living wage. And when we did that, what we got that next day was unbelievable applause that was so heartening that it's emboldened us to keep going, right? And we've had a lot of brands desire to come on board with us with doing it. We were right about to publish a bunch of new brands that were going to come on board with us and then the pandemic happened. So... That is being re-upped soon.
0: Well, let's talk about it from a consumer standpoint, because, you know, as I'm sitting here listening to this, and I I know this about you guys, but some people might be hearing this for the first time, I will say that number of 2% of women, is this in the fashion industry, are earning a living wage. That is like hard to Mm -hmm. hear. And I'm over here as a consumer going, I'm pouring into that. You know, everyone is, we're all here. We know that Abel's doing this. What does it mean for us as a consumer? Is this something that you're like, hey, here's how you can look out for this. Here's how you can watch for this. How do we hear this and change anything about our buying tactics?
1: I think it's, first of all, important to understand what causes change. And kind of the basis of our theory is in 1996, there was a picture that went viral of a little boy in Pakistan sewing together a football with a big swoosh on the side of it. mm -hmm. And that picture went so viral and consumers started saying, whoa, what are we going to call this? Child Mm -hmm. labor. And they said, Nike, what are you going to do about it? And Nike said, that's not our fault. We don't own that manufacturing. That's deep in our supply chain. Consumers said, yeah, it's your fault. And Guess what dropped? Shareholder value. Wow. Now, when shareholder value drops in our nation and really in this world, there's nothing makes money, people move like money. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden, Nike made massive changes that curbed child labor in ways that had never been curbed at that point. And the world still has it and it's still a challenge. But that level of accountability from consumer demand is what drove it. So for us, we're believing that this is an educational opportunity as we publish our wages. And we believe that as consumers know more and have that really simple data point Mm. of what the lowest wage is, that they can make decisions that will drive dollars in the right direction. And as we get more brands on board, we've had some incredibly exciting brands say that they would come on board with us. As you start seeing this kind of nutritional label on every product that says how much a woman makes, Mm. when you can choose between two things, Jamie, and a rack and one of them, you know, a woman makes a living wage and another one doesn't because the evidence is there, then that's going to change how companies behave. I think in the short run, the easiest thing to do is just email brands and ask them how much do people get paid at your factories? And let me tell you, If they say the spin of like, it's hard to calculate or Uh try to figure out. Yeah. It's just not real. The truth of it is if anybody says they don't know how much people are paid at their manufacturers, then the next response should simply be, why don't you?
0: Yeah. So where do you guys publish yours? We publish it
1: on our website. Okay. You can go to our website in our about section. It comes up pretty clearly where we have the wages and what the living wage is. So Um, And, you know, the pandemic has been hard because we haven't been able to travel to see our manufacturers and to really vet. Because one of the big parts of publishing wages is actually sitting with every single woman at that manufacturer and having blind validation where they're not, you know, where it doesn't come just from the top. Right. Saying what they're paying people, but actually meeting with the women and having double validation of those numbers. So we haven't been able to travel we look forward to being able to do that soon. Yeah. You know, we were up and ready pre-Delta and then all of a sudden here we are again, right? So here we are again. the best thing we can do right now is just continue to have kind of Zoom call audits where we meet with the manufacturers yeah. and talk through where they're at. But we really want to go start auditing some of our manufacturers in India and Brazil and different places around the world.
0: That's amazing. I think that it's going to be super eye-opening to a lot of people listening. I love the warehouse that you guys have in Nashville, where we got to walk around Mm -hmm. and see women making jewelry that you guys make that is just so beautiful. And I love that you and your wife and that your team look around and said, hey, how do we bring that here in our own backyards, in our own communities? I would assume that uh, most of these women that are working, that they're Longevity with the company, I would guess that it's great. So, how does it work out for those women that are working for you guys there in Nashville?
1: Well, first of all, you know, we want to make sure that we're building a model that scales. And so, every single woman in the company is an owner. Every single woman that you met.
0: What do you mean by that? At
1: a, they all own stock in the company. We granted stock to every single person in the company. You know, when we became a for profit, it was never our intention to be a for profit. But as that happened, this was, so to speak, The women's company, you know, and and it's their company too. So then we also do full maternity coverage for every single woman. You know, it was incredible having a woman come with the water cooler and tell me that, you know, she had just started recently and found out she was pregnant. And she said, Did you guys know that you just pay people to have their baby for three months? I said, yeah, I did enjoy, you know? And so just those kind of moments are so fun, but every woman has fully covered health insurance and you can do all those kind of benefits and build a great company. And to your point, when you do, um, people stick around and they're committed to the company. And if they leave, um, we're, we're excited for them because we know that it's been about developing skills that they can take elsewhere.
0: Yeah, yeah. What do you hope for Abel in the next 10 years?
1: Now, that's a good, I mean, that's, if you really want to get into it, I mean, so we launched all these different product categories, shoes, apparel, denim jackets and denim pants and jewelry and leather bags, as you said. We did all this because we wanted to be able to, number one, outfit a woman from head to toe so that we could compete Mm -hmm. in the fashion space. Mm -hmm. And so if we can get to be a hundred million dollar company, then this whole publishing wages thing can't be ignored. We will not be able to be ignored. And what I get excited about as we kind of build this momentum around that level of transparency is the dream, the vision is sitting down with one of these massive manufacturers in Mexico or India and putting out a press release that invites the other brands that are manufacturing at that manufacturer yeah and asking them will you all contribute two percent back of margin with us in order to get everybody at that manufacturer wow. up to a living wage How fun would that be?
0: That would be so fun. And then you could just go from manufacturer to manufacturer to manufacturer. Bring
1: it on. You know, honestly, how you asked that question that made me answer it, I've never answered that question that honestly, but that's really the dream. I usually talk about growing the company and demand and and developing demand around publishing wages, but the reality is that that would work, right? If we can get that level of, of size of a company that we could take out a New York Times ad, And challenges everybody to come join us, then you'll see poverty change more quickly than it's changed in the last thousand years.
0: Wow. It's so crazy. You know, if you really like think about what you're saying, it is obvious, but if we don't think about it to think that the steps that you guys are taking and even your vision for the future of next 10 years of what if we happen to think about how that affects worldwide poverty is sometimes lost on consumer. And I'm being vulnerable with myself. It's sometimes lost on us, you know, to think that like that has an impact on everyone that's working at that manufacturer in Mexico. And so it's one of the reasons that I love you guys so much and what you guys are doing, because not only are you creating great products and my favorite denim jacket that I've ever had in my entire life <laughs> and you're all of these things, but you're creating them with this vulnerability, this honesty, and with the vision to say everyone else can do better as well. And coming from a standpoint of like, Hey, we don't have this down perfectly, but here's where we're going.
1: Oh, not even close. That's right. I mean, you know, we just, it's kind of like when when a brand says in 2030, we're going to, you know, Apple says we're going to be fully sustainable, right? I mean, you don't know exactly the pathway to get there, but you lay out the vision. With that said, we do feel really clear on the pathway to get there, you know? And it is people that go out and tell the story that are our advocates that tell the story of publishing wages and don't do it in a condemning way, right? Mm-hmm. Like to your point, we're not looking at other brands saying, can't believe you don't have everybody at a living wage. That's not an invitation, you know, and I don't know. I I don't stay happy that way. I'm not good at condemnation is a silly thing to do for me, at least because I never condemn somebody else that I don't eventually go dope. I did that too. Yeah. And I'm still doing it probably. So that's kind of our mindset.
0: (laughs) You know, the whole idea of a living wage too. Like I remember this a couple of years ago, When I would volunteer at our county jail, we had this program that we went through. It was a six-week program. And one of the weeks was on uh, job skills. And we went through that. And the thing that was so scary was we talked about a living wage and what you would need to just survive in America. Mm. And it is really hard for even women in our own country who are making minimum wage. It's impossible to survive. On minimum wage, and that's here in the United States of America. And so, this conversation is much needed because living wage and minimum wage, I think, are two different things. And that's a soapbox that I could get on for another day, but
1: oh, get on it! Do, do a whole <laughs> podcast on it because I mean, seven twenty-five is I think the minimum wage here in Nashville, in Tennessee. I think the I think that might be the national minimum wage as well, and it hasn't gone up in ten years. Yeah, how, how is that possible? you know, so over 10 years now. Yeah. So I'm with you. And I think there's a lot of good momentum around um, some of the bigger brands have been pushed, yeah. um, you know, like, uh, Amazon, mm-hmm. uh, got pushed into doing yeah. $15 an hour. And that was 100% because of consumer demand, Jamie, yeah. Yeah. they were, I, I guarantee, cause they kept saying, Oh, that's, you know, here's our average wage. It's 32,000, all that kind of jazz mm-hmm. and consumer demand started pushing. They were watching their analytics on Amazon and they were watching Facebook analytics. And they said, "Oops." We're losing consumer loyalty. And then boom, Jeff Bezos came out and said, we have decided to lead the way and pay $15 an hour. So consumer demand works.
0: Yeah, yeah. Barrett, thanks so much for telling us about Able. I'm a fan. I know some of our listeners already know about you guys. And after our conversation, I'm actually going to give everyone a little discount code they could use. So there's that. I would like to hear from you. Uh, You told me you're loving two TV shows and I actually have seen both of them. So I'm excited to hear. What are you loving? What shows are you loving? Ted Lasso.
1: I mean, I'm just like everybody else, though, right? Like, who doesn't want more Ted Lasso in their life in the midst of, of a pandemic? This right? is like the best time for this show positivity. to ever came
0: out. I know. I know. Uh, they Jason was on something when he created this. Yeah, Ted Lasso for the win.
1: Yeah, if you haven't seen episode eight in the dart scene, when he's playing darts with Rupert. It's
0: the best.
1: It's the greatest scene in the history of TV. Okay, <laughs> so that might be good. overstated, but just somebody needs to at least put the top that on the top 10 list it's
0: so good it's so good and then what are you
1: watching did you watch are you up to date on Ted Lasso
0: I'm not up to date I've only done season one yet so I'm not up to date we're a little behind Aaron and I like we start a ton of tv shows and then it takes us forever to finish them that's us and so I can't remember what we are mayor of Easttown I'm like halfway through that's it that's the other one we watched And I'm having like, I just need to finish it because I keep stopping and waiting too long. But yeah.
1: We just finished *Mayor of Easttown. It's because it's a little dark that you don't pick it back up. Yeah, I know. It's like, do I want to get into this? you kind of got to be in the right mode. (laughs) I know, exactly. There's redemption, okay? I'll just tell you. Okay, good. I need
0: some redemption on the end. That's for sure.
1: (laughs) You'll get it. You'll get it.
0: Good. Well, Barrett, thank you so much for coming on the happy hour. This is long overdue and everyone here is such a fan of you guys and what you're doing. So thanks for, thanks for really filling out all the blanks for us and letting us know how this all came about with scarves in Ethiopia and the journey you guys have been on. And we're just grateful to learn more about this industry from you today.
1: And likewise, thanks for your vulnerability in these podcasts. I've enjoyed watching how you communicate so openly and definitely feel kindred spirit in the fact that there's no other way to live than just totally openly. And we want to do that in all facets of our life and including our business. And so people like you coming beside us is the reason why we get to do our mission. So thank you.
0: You're very welcome. Okay, friends, I hope you enjoyed today's show. And if you're gathering with your people this week, I pray that it is encouraging and uplifting and fun and calm and no crazy outbreaks or fights come around the dinner table. Thank you, Barrett and the whole team at ABLE for what you're doing to really change the world right where you are with women who are working in your office and around the world. And it is really fun to hear what you're doing. And I feel really good about my purchases to ABLE. If you want to check out ABLE and all that they're doing, I highly recommend you go to their webpage page. It is livefashionable.com. And they're really kind to give all of you guys a coupon code. You got a discount. Use the code Jamie20 and that will get you 20% off your purchase. I always talk about my denim jacket from there. I've had it forever. It's my most favorite piece I've ever bought and it is worth every penny. So use the code Jamie20 to get you 20% off your purchase. Thanks so much for listening to the Happy Hour Jamie Ivey podcast. We are truly grateful for every single story that we get to share with you, every encouragement we get to bring to you, and every opportunity we get to point us all to Jesus. If you're loving this show, we would appreciate it if you would leave us a rating and or review wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, tell your friends. That is actually the number one way that people find out about our show, because you tell them. Join us right here every Wednesday and Friday for meaningful conversations that make us think, make us laugh and point us to Jesus. Also, come find me on other places around the internet as well. I love Instagram. I'm at Jamie Ivy, And we've been having some fun posting videos on YouTube as well. Sometimes, do you wish you could see the person I'm interviewing? Well, come over and find us there and you can. jamievy.com slash YouTube. The happy hour is produced by Lindsay Sweeney. Show notes are written by Abigail Castell. Graphics by Rachel Ray. The show is edited by the team at Podshaper. And I'm your host, Jamie. And I love every single week that I get to be here with you guys. Until next time, have a happy hour with a friend.